Acts 28, 16 to 31. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they'd gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. What a lovely full room. You guys are good. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, yeah, if you're new, you're, you're very welcome. You kind of just get the ending of what we're doing. So we've been, as Rachel said, we've been in this book, making our way through uh, Luke's book, uh, the book of Acts and the Bible, really for the last year. Uh, we've taken a couple breaks on and off, but um, this is it. We're, we're finishing up. So I'm kind of sad. Um, you know, like when you finish a really good book you've been reading for a while, you're like, oh, I kind of don't want it to end. Um, I'm sure we'll be back. But um, I'm assuming everyone uh, in the room is like me because we're all humans. Uh, but I love a really good story. Um, whether it be kind of fact or fiction or a really good film or a really good book, um, storytelling is really something that we have been doing since we started recording history. So um, a, a, a good storyteller, um, their job is to, to craft a narrative that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, so when you, when you enter into a, a book or read a film or, or watch a film, um, you spend a couple hours kind of getting sucked into the narrative of it. Um, and really, you're, by the end of it, you're supposed to get this kind of payoff, this kind of conclusion. Um, so the writer's expected to, to wrap up the story, uh, giving you some kind of like, okay, this is how it ends. But as you know, as you're probably thinking, you've, you've read a book before or you've, or you've watched a film, and some of them have kind of frustrating endings, don't they? Um, you have uh, writers who don't necessarily uh, kind of pen a, a cut and dry ending, and you get a bit of like a cliffhanger. Um, so think of the, anyone seen the, the film Inception? Anybody not seen it, actually? If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, I'm about to ruin a little bit of it, but there's this character called Don Cobb, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he spends so much time uh, inside people's uh, subconscious, so it's a sci-fi film, he can go into people's dreams. He spends so much time inside uh, people's kind of dreams, he has to carry with him what he calls a totem, which is a little spinning top, and when he spins the top, if it keeps spinning and spinning and spinning, he knows, okay, this isn't reality, we're inside someone's dream. But if it topples over like a normal top does, he knows, okay, we're, we're in 
back into reality. Um, and at the end of the film, he, he gets his kids back um, and he spins the top at the end just to make sure this is real. And he spins it and it's spinning and spinning and the camera kind of zooms in on it and you're like, at this point, I was kind of like screaming at the, film, at the screen like, please topple over. You want this to be real. You want him to have his kids back. But then Christopher Nolan, the writer, kind of cuts it to black and you don't know what happens. And you're like, that's a frustrating ending. <laughs> like, is he, does he have his kids back? Is he alive? Is he deep inside these dreams? Total cliffhanger. Um, and the story that, that we've been making our way through, uh, the book of Acts, kind of has that kind of ending. Um, so if you're the kind of person who loves complete closure, uh, cut and dry, happily ever ending, you don't really get that in this. You might... Um, because, so Luke's been making his way through this really incredible story, and we've entered into this epic journey of, of that Paul has been traveling kind of all throughout the land, planting churches, spreading the gospel, and we've, we've also seen him being persecuted, and so he's essentially being hunted by the Jewish leaders. They, they want him out of the picture. They want him killed. Um, they want to get rid of him. But the Lord has told Paul, don't worry about any of that, because I'm going to send you to Rome um, I, I'm going to send you to Rome to continue the mission. And, so, and God does that. He continues to bring Paul uh, along the way through many. We see him uh, get beaten. We see him thrown into prison. We have all these kind of trials. Um, and last week, Andrew looked at this kind of unbelievable journey that the Lord took him on to get to Rome. So he had this shipwreck, lost at sea, snake bite. Um, and Paul finally gets to Rome. And this is where we are. But then the story just kind of ends. Like this... this uh, the story that we've been, we've been kind of aching to get to this trial before Caesar in Rome, and we don't even know what happens. Like, Luke doesn't tell us what happens with the trial. We don't, tell, we don't know if Paul is released. Is he, is he killed? Does he finally make it to Spain like he's always wanted to? It just kind of ends, total cliffhanger. But I, w- I want to propose to you today that I think this kind of to-be-continued ending that, Paul, that Luke does is completely purpose on, on purpose. And here's why. Because Luke didn't intend to write a biography of the Apostle Paul. So even though we've been, half of the book has been kind of following his journeys, Luke's purpose, as we established at the beginning of this series, was not to describe the acts of Paul, but to describe the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. So his intention is, is to describe the acts of Jesus accomplished by his spirit who he sends into his people and uh, the church kind of goes on mission. He accomplishes his purpose through his people, like the Apostle Paul. So Paul's kind of like a, a sub-character. Um, Tony Morita, he calls this, uh, Luke sets out to describe the unstoppable progress of the gospel. Keep that, keep that phrase in mind, the unstoppable progress of the gospel, because I think it's really important. Um, at the beginning of, of the book, uh, Luke tells us what he he set out to do in his first book, the Gospel of Luke. He said, I set out to, 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 uh, to kind of record all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And then the sequel to his Gospel is this book. Um, and it, it, seats, it sets to, uh, to record all that Jesus continued to do um, after that point. So this kind of unstoppable progress of the Gospel. Um, I, I love that, that phrase because as you... As we've made our way through the book, you see kind of evidence of that. So, so the Lord is, is continuing his work. He, he's bringing people into his family. Um, the, the good news of the resurrection is, is spreading. It uh, started in, in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria. And then here we are all the way in Rome. Um, so God is accomplishing his purposes. And we've seen him do it no matter what. So he, we, he's, he's been working in and through these people, even if they are killed, remember like Stephen, even if they are imprisoned and shipwrecked like Paul, uh, we see the progress of the gospel has just been unstoppable. This is really a, a, a summary, a little thesis of the book of Acts. It's the ministry of Jesus continued by the Spirit through the church. And, and Luke really ends his book um, by leaving us with Paul doing this, by continuing the mission by the Spirit, here he is preaching this kind of mighty gospel. He started in Jerusalem, and now he's all the way in Rome. And um, in choosing to walk away from the story here the way Luke does, he doesn't finish, he doesn't follow uh, Paul all the way to his death. 
he, he, he just kind of walks away from the story. But in doing that, he kind of masterfully keeps King Jesus, the resurrected one, as the hero of the story. Instead of Paul or anyone else, so Paul's not the main character of the story. Jesus is. So I want to say that if you finish reading the book of Acts and you are really smitten by Paul, you're, you're enamored by how great he was, how kind of uh, persistent and successful he was, but then that's it, then Luke would say you've completely missed this, the point of the story. Because Luke's goal isn't to describe how great Paul was. Luke's, Luke's purpose is to describe how great Jesus is, how, how um, powerful this Lord is, how, how mightily he moves in and through his people. So Luke's conclusion is more something like this recording, this book is finished, but the mission of Jesus uh, is, is that he's assigned to the church is far from over. It's only really just begun, which, which means that we actually, everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, we get to join in the drama of this kind of spreading of the gospel that we've been reading about. We, we essentially kind of carry on the story, the, the kind of to be continued, the drama of, of spreading the news to the ends of the earth, to the rest of the nations. This unstoppable progress is, is what we are part of. Um, the ministry of Jesus continued by the Spirit through the church, that's us, okay? We are, um, we are uh, continuing on in the mission. So, so we see that God replaces his messengers, over t- his messengers over time, but the message and the mission stays the same. Um, so Paul... Paul is a good example to us, okay? So if you're a little bit smitten by Paul, that's okay. But it's because the Lord worked mightily through him. So Paul is, like besides Jesus, he's the greatest, most important evangelist the church has ever known. But he eventually dies, okay? He, he eventually um, is beheaded in Rome, and the Lord's work doesn't stop there. It continued on in the next person, and in the next person, and in the next church, and the next church, until we finally get here and here we are in the room with the same exact unfinished mission as Paul, the, the, as Paul had, with the same exact spirit that this mighty Paul had living in and through us. The Lord continues his work. The messengers change over time, but the message and the mission assigned to the church stays unchanging and unstoppable until the king decides it's over. Until the king returns. And... When you, when you think of it this way, you're, it really puts your life into perspective, doesn't it? When you think, when you view your life through this kind of gospel mission lens, um, it kind of changes everything because it means that your, your purpose in your life isn't just to be a great builder or a great software engineer or a great doctor, a great designer, a great mom or dad. So those things are important. They are they're part of your calling for sure, but they are really a means to an end. They are a tool given to you to help you carry out the mission that Jesus has assigned to you. This purpose, your, your purpose of continuing on the mission of spreading the good news of this resurrected Jesus to the ends of the earth. When you see it that way, it changes the way you live your life. So if this mission has been uh, assigned to us to continue on the next kind of chapters of Acts, what we're going to do, we're going to end today uh, this whole book by really looking at five applications that we can take from Paul here in these last verses as we seek to continue the mission of carrying out the good news. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, who are we uh, to be chosen by you to be the ones that you are um, doing your work through, to be assigned the mission of carrying your good news to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jesus, we, we ask you to, to help us now. Uh, don't let us carry on today in our own power. and uh, Don't let me continue on this sermon speaking with my own uh, human words. As Spirit, we ask you to guide us in this time. We ask you to, to open our hearts that only, like only you can do uh, and take these truths of your word that we are so thankful for and press them 
further into the depths of our being. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, the first kind of application that we're going to take as we seek to continue the mission is, number one, uh, make the most of every ministry opportunity. Uh, so Paul is, is an excellent example in this. Uh, here he is. He's, really, he's been in chains for about three years now since he was arrested in Jerusalem, and he's gone through several trials, a lot of waiting, um, and he has another two to come, as we're about to see. And, and what we see is that in the midst of all that, he has this joy and this focus on the mission that, that cannot be shaken. Um, so whether we see him shipwrecked in Malta and, and ministering to the people there or here in chains in Rome, um, he has this, this focus, this goal uh, to share the good news of the gospel with whoever is around him, really. Um, so from verse 30 onwards, we really see that Paul lived um, at his own expense in a more relaxed uh, form of house arrest. Um, he, he was able to, to welcome visitors in, um, and he makes the most of, of this situation by, by ministering to whoever's around him. So the Roman imperial guard, um, the Jews who are coming to him, come, coming to him uh, the, the, the Greeks, anyone who's really going to come to see him, we see that he's making the most by ministering to them. Um, so though technically a prisoner, Paul's not complaining about his situation. He's proclaiming the good news. Um, we learn a lot more, you can see a lot more of Paul's heart when you read uh, the letters that he wrote during these imprisonments. Um, so this is what he says, this is what he writes to the church in Colossians, which he wrote um, while in prison. He says, uh, Colossians 4, 2 to 6, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to declare the mystery of, the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in chains, so that I might make it known or clear as I should. And he tells him, walk in wisdom according, uh, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, toward unbelievers, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may, so that, uh, you may know how you ought to answer each person. So um, Paul's in chains, and, and this is what he's asking for prayer for. He's not, he's not asking that he would be released from prison, which would probably be my prayer. Please, please ask that I'm going to be released. Um, instead, he's asking for prayer that he'd be really effective in making the, uh, carrying on the, me- the message of Jesus. Um, he's, he's exhorting his fellow believers um, not to think about him. Don't be too worried about me, but make the best use of your time. Um, live with evangelistic sensitivity uh, towards unbelievers. He, he's essentially telling them, um, remember the mission, brothers and sisters. Uh, continue spreading the good news. Make the best use of your time, whatever the case is. And he's doing that. He's, he's leading by example. So he, he's doing that while he's in Rome. And we read in another one of these kind of, we call prison epistles, uh, these letters that he wrote. He, he wrote a letter to, uh, to Philemon where Paul encourages him to be reconciled with a man named Onesimus, who we, we learn actually was converted during this imprisonment. Uh, So in Philemon, uh, verse 8, Paul says, Therefore, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Okay, he's in chains, but he's still an apostle. Um, He says, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. He says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while in chains. Just another way of saying this is, he, he became a Christian while I was in prison here. So because Paul... Uh, kept his heart focused on the mission of, G- of sharing Jesus, um, rather than letting his circumstances kind of shut him down, this Onesimus was able to hear the gospel, become a Christian, and now Paul's sending him out. It's incredible. He says, make the best use of your time. Remember the mission. Uh, this, this type of house arrest that Paul was in uh, meant that um, he could welcome people in, but he was also kind of 24 hours around the clock, um, guarded by the Roman Imperial Guard. Um, so there's probably a rotation of guardsmen on duty, uh, probably 24 hours a day, uh, which also meant kind of good news for Paul because he had a captive audience no matter what. Um, so, and we see that Paul's witness um, impacted more than just these particular soldiers. So his witness apparently became the talk of the, the whole Imperial Guard. Um, it became the talk of the palace officials and even the pagans on the street. Um, so there's estimates that there's probably about 9,000 uh, Roman guards in the city at that day. 
And we learn in one of the other letters that he wrote in Philippians um, about how God was accomplishing his, accomplishing his purposes even, though, even through Paul's imprisonment. So uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually really served to advance the gospel. Wow. Um, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most, of, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For I know that, that through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be put to shame, shall, shall be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Okay, so his deliverance is not necessarily being released, but that whether life or death, Christ is going to be honored. For to me, to, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For my, if I am able to, to uh, live in the flesh, well, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So l- listen, listen to what he's saying here. He's saying, um, even though he's in chains, he's saying... Whether I live or die, my, my deliverance is really that Christ will be honored, uh, highly honored, no matter what. Um, if I die, that means I get to be with Jesus finally, um, which I'm really looking forward to, which is better than anything. But if I live for a little bit longer, well, that means that more people get to hear the good message. He says, actually, me being here imprisoned has been a good thing. It's actually helped to, to advance the gospel can you imagine saying that after you've been in prison in chains for years? Do you see how with this, Paul seeing his life through this kind of gospel mission lens, by doing that, this mission is unstoppable. So for Paul, whether he's killed or lived, the gospel continues on. The gospel is unstoppable. The Romans are, are hearing the good news. Uh, Christians are becoming bolder as a result of Paul's witness. So let's follow Paul's example in that, um, wherever the Lord has you, I'm guessing it probably won't be anytime soon uh, in chains because you're preaching the gospel, but wherever you are, whether it's in work or at home or with your, your neighbors, with your family, like make him known. Make that be your, your first priority. Make the most of every ministry opportunity. And in verse 17, we see... Um, even though he's in prison, Paul goes about his, his usual mission strategy. I, it's kind of warmed my heart reading this because we haven't really been able to see Paul do this in a while uh, because he's been uh, in several trials and imprisonments, and the chapter is kind of leading up to this point. But once again, we see him. He comes into the city, and uh, he, he, he does his normal thing. He, he reaches out to the Jews in the city, and then he eventually uh, preaches to the Gentiles. Uh, we see two main encounters between Paul and the Jewish leaders in this passage. Uh, the first one came uh, really at Paul's request. He asked them to come see him. Uh, the second uh, encounter happened because they wanted to, to hear more. Um, so during their first visit, Paul, he just wants to assure them of his innocence. Um, he wanted to clarify that he didn't have any charge to make against the Jews. Um, he had no desire for vengeance uh, in spite of the, the ill treatment that he's received from them. And really, once he's established his clean slate, which is important to him, Paul goes on to mention why he's actually asked them to, to come and, and, and speak to him. So in verse 20, he kind of gets down to business. He says, for this reason, therefore, I have asked uh, to see you and to speak to you. He says, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. So the hope of Israel would have gotten their attention. He, these, these are uh, Old Testament Jews. He's... he's He's gotten their attention. He's using this kind of Old Testament messianic uh, terminology that they would have been familiar with, really as a teaser, uh, to, to gather their interest into his main message. So he, he's, he's, he's setting them up. He's, he's, he's given them a teaser to, to hear the main message of his proclamation about this hope of Israel, which is, as you should know by now, the risen, the risen Christ. And it works. So in verse 22... Uh, they say, well, we desire to hear from you what your views are. We want to see you again. Uh, so we, Paul's in prison, and he's just making the most of every opportunity. 
Secondly, uh, our second uh, application as we kind of move on in the story is uh, to teach all people about King Jesus from the scriptures. This is what Paul does. So uh, verse 23, they come to see him. Um, it says, when they had appointed a day for him, they had come uh, to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Okay, hope of Israel, you got our attention. We're bringing our friends to come hear what you have to say. And it says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Okay, so this should sound familiar already. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So really, two things about this. Um, a morning until evening sermon is a long one, okay? Um, you might think we preach for a long time, but morning till evening is, is going to be lengthy. But uh, notice just how brief of a summary of this massive sermon that Luke gives us. He gives us one sentence, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. Um, and, and really, we're not, we shouldn't really be surprised by this by now because we've, we've heard Paul preach many times. We should be familiar with it by now. And we, we've seen him, he employs, he's a master of, of, of teaching and preaching. He employs a variety of kind of teaching methods. So he, he proclaims, he, he uh, expounds, he, he uh, convinces, he, he's persuading. Um, you see him in, uh, in Athens, he's contextualizing. But really, his message always stays the same. So his methods change a little bit, but his message is always, always, always just about Jesus. <laughs> so Christ crucified, risen from the dead, kingdom of God's a hand. Like, this is my message. Um, Look how patient he is as well. I'm going to sit here from morning until night going over this with you. He takes his time opening the scriptures, teaching them, really patiently trusting that the Spirit's going to soften hearts and, and, and to teach people. And, and we should follow an example in this. We should be patient as well. Because not every conversion is going to be a quick one. Probably, really in our society, most, most people that you're trying to convince, it will take some time. Um, Tony Marita also talks about this kind of pre-evangelism that needs to be, needs to be done. To, to Kind of what Paul does, like convince people, set people up, um, uh, love them slowly, and then we're going to get to the point. But in, in all of that, remember that your job is not to save people. Your job is not to, to seal the deal. Okay, your job, our job, is to, to do what Paul does. Open the scriptures, expound, teach people, convince, um, be, be persuading, and then the Holy Spirit does the rest. It's his job. Really, only he can truly save someone's heart. Um, we are simply to proclaim the good news, both with our lives and our actions and the way we live and also with our words. Um, notice again how Paul goes about this. We've looked at his sermons before, and really, he really just follows Jesus' example, doesn't he? Um, I want you to see just how similar um, uh, this passage is to the passage that Luke writes of Jesus and his, uh, when he's walking to Emmaus with his disciples. In Luke 24, Jesus is walking with uh, his two disciples, and this is how he decides to make himself, to teach them about who he is. He says, um, verse 27, Luke chapter 24, he says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then in Acts 28, 23, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So, so Paul, just like his teacher, Jesus, he simply opened the scriptures and showed them how it's all been pointing towards Jesus the whole time. Showing them how Christ is, is the hero of the whole story. Kingdom of God and Jesus. That's Paul's sermon. Really, this should be our job too. And we, we should continue the church's mission by continuing to expound the scriptures, continue to open up the passages for people, and pointing people to the hero of the Bible. And Jesus tells us, um, really, of the, the Great Commission that he, that he gives us how the, the book of Matthew ends before he goes up. Jesus says uh, in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what we've been reading about all throughout the book of Acts. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, deserve, to, to observe all that I've commanded you. 
and we, we do this teaching obviously by many ways, okay? By, by living our lives as an example, by, by loving our neighbor, by loving each other. They'll know us by our love, um, uh, by feeding the poor. But also, and very importantly, by patiently and faithfully opening up the scriptures and explaining text and showing people how Jesus fits into the whole redemptive story. Just like Jesus and Paul did. Like, like, like that redemption, bringing people from, from darkness into the marvelous light. Um, Ephesians 2 says you've been brought from death into life. Like that's, that's some really important stuff. That's really incredible. And notice uh, the phrase in, in chapter 20, or verse 23 here. It says that Paul was trying to convince people about Jesus. And you, you might think that, that, a, that an all-day sermon, a dawn, a, 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 sorry, yeah, a dawn to dusk sermon would be pretty boring. Like, it's like to sit there and listen to someone preach all day long. But I don't think it was because Paul wasn't merely trying to um, open up the scriptures and, and kind of transfer information from brain to brain. And he is, he's desperate to persuade these people. He's, he's desperate to see that these, his Jewish brothers come from darkness into the marvelous light, to finally see that Jesus is the Messiah they've always been, they've long been waiting for. And listen to what he wrote in his letter to the church in Rome regarding these Jewish brothers. Romans 9, 1 to 3, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that, that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Like, that's a big statement. That's one of Paul's statements that you're like, I, I'm not there. You're, you're crazy, Paul. Like, I myself will, will be, would rather be cut off for Christ if these guys would just finally know He's desperate, he's passionate for them to see the truth. And because of this passion that he has for the Jews to come know the truth, I think we can assume that this sermon probably wasn't boring. Like he was, um, he, he was expounding the gospel, um, but it wasn't merely transferring information from brain to brain. He was evangelizing from heart to heart. He's trying to persuade them. And we should, again, follow his, his example in this. Uh, we seek to persuade our hearers to bow the knee to, to King Jesus because he's the one, he's the one who loves them. He's the one who, who wants them to join into, uh, to become citizens of his kingdom. And we see all throughout the New Testament that our primary way of doing this is by teaching people about Jesus from the scriptures. Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Like, that's a big statement. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Which brings us to our, our third uh, application as we seek to continue the mission. Ask God to grant you spirit-empowered boldness. And just a quick mention of this boldness because we've, we've covered it a lot already, but it's really, really important um, so Rome doesn't seem to be in too big of a hurry to, to deal with Paul. Um, so he continued on living like this for another two years uh, in, in chains, but welcoming people, uh, all kinds of visitors uh, throughout his house arrest. So you can picture him in his house, uh, explaining the gospel, explaining the scriptures day after day uh, to his Roman guards, to the inquisitive Jews and, and Greeks in the city, to, to brothers and sisters that were going to come and visit him. Um, I, I'd encourage you to read those prison epistles. Read, go, go away, read those letters that Paul wrote during this imprisonment. So you have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, read those again in light of him being in prison in Rome at this time uh, because you're, you're introduced to people who, who come to visit him. So you have uh, Tychicus and Onesimus and Epaphroditus. Um, so we're told in, in verse 30 and 31, uh, he lived there for two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So he didn't just, he wasn't here just, just teaching. He was teaching with all boldness, the spirit and power boldness. 
Um, so all throughout the book of Acts, we, this kind of spirit-produced uh, courage is, is highlighted really as a character trait of a faithful witness. So remember back in uh, chapter 4, verse 29 to 31? I think this is on the screen. Yeah. So they're praying for, uh, for the church who's being persecuted, and, and uh, verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Spirit servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place that they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. What does that mean? Um, in, in verse 13 of chapter 4, it says, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they, they were just uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Um, we ought to desire and to pray for this spirit-empowered boldness. That God would, that would grant us this, this same type of boldness as we seek to declare the mysteries of the gospel. And I don't believe it's a one-time, uh, one-time gift because we see Paul pray for it several times. We see him pray again in Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. He says, and also for me, uh, the words may be given to me uh, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of this gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Do you regularly pray for this spirit and power boldness? You, sh- you should, and we, we as a church should be praying that the Lord would grant us uh, boldness as we declare the mysteries of the gospel. When's the last time you prayed that? Uh, fourthly, Fourth application as we seek to continue the mission is maintain an unshakable confidence in the gospel. And let me ask you a question. When you hear about this, this spirit-empowered boldness to declare the mysteries of the gospel, uh, when, you, when you hear in verse 31 that Paul proclaimed the gospel, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance, when you hear Paul say in Romans 1 that this gospel is the power of God unto salvation, what, is your heart, what does your heart say? Do you, do you actually believe that? And do you believe that, that this gospel power, that this boldness is real? Be, because if I'm honest, um, it, it's easy for us um, we live so far away from what we're reading about, what happened in Jerusalem and Rome. And it's so easy to fall prey to our culture's kind of general doubts about the power of this gospel. Like, come on, people aren't interested in the message of the Bible, are they? And pe- people, uh, people laugh at the idea of a crucified man from Palestine dying for their sins and then returning to life in triumph. Like, what is that message? But we're here, the room is full of people who, who, okay, I have put my faith and my hope in that message, but do I believe in its power? I want you to see just how incredible and breathtaking the progress of this gospel, the spread of Christianity was at the time and continues to be. And... Just since the start of Acts, the gospel has, has taken hold in Jerusalem. So think about all the way back from to chapter 1 and all the things we've been through. The gospel has taken hold in Jerusalem, multiplying thousands of people, thousands of people, and cities all over the ancient world, churches being planted, people going out, and it's finally made it here to Rome, the center of the world. And, and when, we, when we read these accounts... And it's easy to fall, it's easy to, to make the mistake of thinking that Jerusalem was really the, the kind of center of action in the ancient world. And Jerusalem was where it was all happening, when it really it wasn't. And 
it's incredibly important to the Jews um, and the Christians. When you read your Bible, it's all focused on like this, this Jerusalem, the center of messianic hope. But really, the city itself was, was pretty insignificant uh, at the time. Um, I think I have a little map up here. It's just on the fringe. You see, if you, so here's Jerusalem over here. It's barely in the Roman Empire. Um, the activities there didn't really occupy Roman interest. Um, I want you to read you a quote from a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. It says, Pilate was, was more the, the, the main finance officer or tax collector than anything else. The events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, while so important to the Jews and Christians at the time, were, were marginal events in a nothing town on the edge of an empire with more important matters to consider. If we fail to recognize this, we can fail to recognize just how remarkable the rapid growth of the early church, of the early church really was. So Jerusalem was, was pretty insignificant. Uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was pretty insignificant in the eyes of the world at the time. Nothing's really changed, has it? Um, yet, at the end of Acts, we see the beginnings of this worldwide movement of a people who worship this risen Christ from Nazareth. Like, it's, it's breathtaking. It's, it doesn't make any sense. The progress of the gospel we've seen has just been unstoppable. And you, when you read these accounts, chapter 6, verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a, many, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And chapter 9, verse 31 says, So the church all throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Chapter 12, verse 24 says, But the word of God flourished and multiplied. Chapter 16, verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Chapter 19, verse 20 says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then here in chapter 28, verse 31, it says, Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Like, those things are significant. They, they, the spreading of the gospel should be breathtaking. Look at what the Jews say about this church in verse 22. They say, for, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So, so the church and, and, and the message of the gospel wasn't a popular thing in the days in, in Rome. And, and think about our culture, like, it still isn't. Nothing, nothing has changed. The church in this country has experienced that kind of peace and flourishing, and we praise God for that great. But I'm telling you, more and more, it's going to become harder and harder. Like, more and more people are going to think of this as a sect, are going to speak against it. It's... it's it's not going to become easier and easier to be a follower of Jesus here. It's not. It's going to become harder and harder, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for the church. And, but as the people around you speak against this, you'll, either, you'll have a few different options of either walking down the message, of either walking away from it completely, or to maintain an unshakable confidence in the gospel. But as it becomes harder, um, don't tell yourself that the gospel vo is void of power. Um, some people will laugh at it. Some people will mock it. Um, but remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says that the gospel, that this word of the cross, as he calls it, sounds like foolishness to some. Yet to we who have heard and embraced the message of Scripture, we know it to be the power of God. Paul goes on, he, he says, Can't you see by now that, that God uses the foolish of the world to shame the wise? God chose what is, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Like church, don't doubt the power of the gospel. Don't, don't try to domesticate it as you go along. If we empty the cross of its supposed foolishness, we empty it of its power. Paul continued to proclaim the kingdom of God and Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance in the midst of a city that thought it foolishness. And we should do the same. Though Paul was in chains, the word of God wasn't bound. Though, though he was hindered from, from leaving a certain area, the gospel was not. The purposes of God will endure no matter what. God will accomplish his design for gathering his people all throughout the world through the preaching of his word, no matter what. It is powerful, and we should have an unshakable confidence in it. And lastly, as we close, um, pour yourself out for the king until you see the king. Pour yourself out in service to Jesus until you finally stand face to face with him. And from everything we read here in these last chapters of Acts, um, from what we can kind of piece together as you read those letters of Paul and what we learn from church history, um, it seems that Paul uh, was released after this two-year stint of imprisonment. He's freed. He, he continues on his traveling ministries, probably, be a, probably immediately, just like Paul. Um, he visits churches. He writes First Timothy and Titus. Uh, before again being arrested. And after the second arrest, uh, he writes the, his letter to, to his Second Timothy uh, before he's, he's killed. Uh, Richard Longnecker, he's a prominent New Testament scholar with a brilliant name. Um, he offers this summary of Paul's final years. He says, we may believe that, that Paul's release from his first Roman imprisonment uh, uh, after Paul's release from his first risen Roman imprisonment, he continued his evangelistic work in the eastern portion of the empire, at least in the, the lands surrounding the Aegean Sea, perhaps even fulfilling his long-cherished desire to visit Spain. Um, and, second, and since 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 18 speaks of an approaching second trial uh, and the tone of resignation in that letter, we may conclude that Paul was rearrested around 67 AD and according to tradition was beheaded in Rome by the order of Emperor Nero. I should listen to Paul's uh, moving words to his protege, Timothy. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Think of all the things he's been through. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, stand by me but all deserted me. May not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Like what a way to finish. What, what a last letter to write. The Lord has kept his promises he, he, he brought Paul safely to Rome like he said he would. And in time, he welcomed his war-torn apostle into his heavenly home. May that be our story. May it be so with us. Until we get to stand before the king, let's follow Paul's example of pouring ourselves out in service to the kingdom. Keep fighting. Keep running the race. Stay true to the message, even though you'll be tempted not to. Like I'm telling you, when you finally get to stand face to face with Jesus and look him in the eyes, you will not regret serving him until your dying breath. You will not regret 
placing your hope in, in the gospel. You won't regret boldly proclaiming the kingdom to your friends and your family and maybe looking foolish. You won't regret it. We, as, as blood-bought, resurrection people, will be in the presence of this glorified King Jesus forever. We'll be there with the saints of every tribe and tongue, including those like Paul who were slain for the sake of the name. And, and we, we will join the multitude of the redeemed in singing praises to the one who is worthy of all our adoration. That's, that's where the mission is leading. And the, the mission we've been given has a purpose. And it, it's moving towards this everlasting glory with Jesus. The mission of Acts, it won't last forever. But the mission of Acts will, will continue through us until the day that, that the Lord says, all right, I'm done. We're, we're concluded. So until then, we, we pray, we pray, come Lord Jesus. But we also pour ourselves out for him until he decides. Church, um, he is risen. Like, don't forget that. Death has been defeated. You have been brought in to this, this hope of future glory. I just want to end by uh, quoting Martin Luther's uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It says, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. This body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's continue the mission. Let's continue to be faithful. Let's continue to boldly proclaim the kingdom, making the most of every ministry opportunity, wherever you are. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. You've given us hope. We were in darkness. We were dead, and you have brought us to life. You brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light. May we not keep that message to ourselves. May we not be ashamed of that message. Give us boldness, Lord. Grant us boldness from the Spirit to speak those good news, those good, amazing words to all those around us. For your glory, for our joy along the way, You are so good, Lord. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to end like we always do, by celebrating with a meal. If you're a Christian, uh, you're, you're welcome to come uh, join in on this. Um, if you're not a Christian, we ask you not to, not to break the bread this morning, but to accept Jesus. Like this, this, this is your time. This is your moment. Um, may today be the day of salvation for you. For you Christians, help come celebrate with each other, feed each other, remind each other that when we break this bread, it reminds us that his body was broken for us. When we dip it into the wine, his blood was shed for us. We've been given this, this message, this mission to, to take this this this. this uh, message of this meal and to spread it, continue. One day he will come again. Amen. Let's come.